0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. I don't know how 2022 is going for you. has been a little wild for me, and, uh, but I think that's just the way that every year goes. So I'm not sure it's 2022 that's the deal. But I was thinking in the first service... Uh, Matt uh, Nyhoff, one of our elders was sharing with our congregation, he'll tell you at the end of the service about all the people we had on campus for COVID testing this week and people that were prayed for and I'm like, we're praying for these people in our community what about the folks that are regularly part of our church and so I just thought this morning I didn't do this in first service, but if you just have a prayer need today, before we jump into the message, we're starting a series in Hebrews, we're going to talk a bunch about Jesus, he's awesome by the way, so that's the summary, uh, if you're not a note taker Um, but the, uh, if you need prayer would you just stand up, I want to pray for you pray for this year, if you or your family need Prayer and uh, I don't need to know the needs. And if you see somebody around you standing, uh, would you just kind of pray? You don't have to touch them or do anything like that, but just kind of pray, like, hey, the lady in front of me, pray for this family. I saw my friend, I didn't know they'd stand. That's awesome. All right, I see these folks got people standing all over the place. The Lord knows the needs. Let me just pray over that. Uh, Father, we come and uh, we sang about speaking the name of Jesus uh, over our families and over situations. And we know that you are the healer and the provider and the director, and the guider, and creator, and sustainer, and the finisher, and the judge. And Father, there are people standing all over this room, um, male and female, and older and younger, and all of that, and you know. And Father, I pray. I pray for folks that, that need healing, or relationships need to be reconciled, or sin that's being dealt with, or things that are happening. Maybe they're standing up for somebody else. Father, you know. Right now, I pray for every person that's standing in this room, and there might be even some standing in their living rooms at home or uh, wherever they're watching this. Father, I pray right now that you would intervene in their situations and make it tangibly evident that you're there. I pray that 2022 would be a year of your presence, and your presence would be known and made known in their lives, in their families. I pray for um, people that are going astray, that are within families that are represented here, that you draw them back. I pray for people that are drifting from you, that you draw them back. I pray for the people that aren't saved, you'd save them. And Father, I pray for people that are on fire for you but need encouragement. You know the word. Will you give them that word today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing, for your courage, for that church body. Just continue to be praying for one another. It's one of the things that makes us the church, is living out the one another's of Scripture. Uh, There are almost 60 of them in the New Testament. Praying for one another is one of them. And so even if you don't know the needs, we've got the God who does. Amen? And so you just pray for folks as God lays them on your heart. And uh, it is possible, though, to have miscommunication in conversations, isn't it? I don't know if you've had that. The married people are laughing. Uh, I won't point out just who did that, but... But at any rate, um, there are folks that sometimes you miscommunicate. Uh, one of the scenarios I mentioned in the first service, I don't know if husband and wife you ever had this. Have you ever seen the mysterious wet towel in your bedroom? And then maybe the wife says to the husband, who did this? Well, there's only two of you, okay? So that's how that works. And the husband comes in kind of like, some guy must have broken into our house, taken a shower, and there's this towel here. Or have parents, have you ever said to your kids, clean your room, and then they don't? Clean your room. There's three words like in that sentence, but then they say something like, Oh, you meant now? (laughs) Not like someday. Yes, I meant now. And so like miscommunication happens oftentimes in our relationships. But have you ever thought about like on a global perspective if you miscommunicated? I did a little research this week and found some companies, some big name companies, that have done some global advertising that has gone wrong. I'll share a few of them with you. There are a lot out there. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, when they first went to China, uh, they wanted to use their slogan. Who knows their slogan? Finger licking good. You know what it was in Mandarin when they translated it there? Eat your fingers off. <laughs> that was a mistake. Um, some of you have heard of Electrolux. They make different appliances. When they first came to America, they're a Swedish company. When they first came to America, they had a vacuum cleaner they were advertising and their slogan was, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. <laughs> I think they thought that meant something then different. In... When Parker Penn marketed their ballpoint pen in Mexico, the advertisement was supposed to say, it won't leak in your pocket and embarrass you. However, the company accidentally translated to say it won't leak in your pocket and make you pregnant. (laughs) Aren't you thankful for that? So we've got individual miscommunication. There's global miscommunication. Have you ever wondered if you're missing what God's speaking to you? ever look at your circumstances? Like, I had a crazy Monday. Does anybody here like Mondays? Raise your hand. We'll pray for you too. That's weird, Anthony. Why do you like Mondays? I've never met you. You must be positive. You're just one of those people that's positive about everything, right? Like, and so Mondays are kind of odd, like not a great day usually for me anyways. This past Monday was really weird. Um, won't get into all the details, but at midnight, uh, the night before, I was writhing in pain, some problems with my stomach. Um, woke up, missed about an hour of sleep there. At five in the morning, I heard this noise. Ah! Have you ever heard that? Flash flood warnings at five in the morning. I don't care. I float away. Noah's boat. It doesn't, I'm sleeping, okay, at that moment. But do you remember the weather on Monday? It was odd. One of you put on your social media this meme here that we have. I cannot see it. Do you remember it snowed super hard, and then it was like sunny the next Friday? It's like a perfect picture there of what happened. Well, at 5 in the morning, we were being warned of flash floods. At about 30, 7 o'clock, the power went out on our house. I don't know if that happened to anyone else who lives uh, close to here, but the power went out, which I thought, that's fine. I mean, I can get ready in the dark. It's not that big of a deal. I didn't have that much hair. Like, who cares? But then I realized, oh, it's not just the dark. I'm not going to have any hot water. So I already don't feel well. Stomach's feeling terrible. I wouldn't even go into the office, except I have a couple meetings that I, I need to go to. And I'm like, all right, skip the shower. <laughs> a little extra deodorant that morning, right? You know, I'm getting ready and uh, decide to go out and get, get my car. Oh, no electricity. Can't open the garage door. My car is parked in the garage. I can't just walk from my house into it. And I haven't had this problem in a long time. So I go to the side door that has a key. My key, I don't know why, I still don't know why to this day, my key wouldn't work in that door. I don't know if I don't have a key to my own house here or what, but I couldn't. So I had to get a ride to work. So I asked Shannon, Shanna, can you take me to work today? She takes the kids to school, then she says she'll take me to work. We're driving out of the driveway, and I see there's a tree that's leaning over. I'm like, oh my, what is happening here? <laughs> and that was just the beginning of the week. <laughs> so what about you? Have you ever... Do you ever wonder, like, God, are you trying to teach me something? Like, what are you saying? And, and maybe it, sometimes it feels like God's being silent. Let me tell you something. God's speaking. He's got a word for you in 2022. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? And he speaks to us through the book of Hebrews. And he tells us about speaking to us in these last days in the book of Hebrews. And that's what we're going to be studying probably for the next six months. I don't know. We're only doing three verses today, maybe the next three years. We're going to be in Hebrews for a little while. If you want to mark your Bibles there, it's towards the back of the New Testament. It's after all the T's, Timothy's and Titus's and Thessalonians and all that stuff. And then there's a book called Philemon. It's only one page. You might miss it. And then the book of Hebrews, right before James, if you want to mark it, um, just to get an idea of what's happening in the book of Hebrews. I don't know where you're at spiritually. There are different folks at different places. Hebrews has a word for all of you. So if you're passionately in love with Jesus, there's a word of encouragement for you. In fact, this book is referred to as an exhortation, a word of encouragement. Uh, If you're thinking you're a Christian and you're not, there are multiple warnings. A lot of scholars think there's five major warnings in Hebrews. They're going to speak to you as we go through this book. If you're drifting from God, and that's anybody that you loved God at one point in your life, and that's not where you are today. And so it doesn't necessarily mean you're rebelling against Him. You're just not as close as you've ever been at this moment. God's got a word for you from this book. Some of you are skeptics of Jesus. You're not sure. And maybe you're here just because you're giving it a shot or somebody persuaded you or whatever. Uh, Maybe you just tuned online because you're scrolling through. God's got a word for you from Hebrews. Here's what's happening to these actual believers this is being written to. They're going through a time where it's becoming progressively more and more difficult to be a Christian in their society. They had a conversion experience. There was a cost to following Christ. No one's died yet. Nero hasn't started killing Christians yet, but they can sense something's coming. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a culture, a society where it's becoming progressively harder to be a Christian? Real persecution hasn't taken place, but you feel like it might not be as far off as it once seemed. That's the relevance of this book. And so in Hebrews, it starts different than most books. You know, a lot of books start, you know, to the believers in Ephesus or to the believers in Rome and here's, I'm Paul or I'm Peter. Here's what it says. Long ago, so we jump right into it. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, that's now, he has spoken to us by his son, who's his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he's speaking through his son, and that's some power. After, this is when he did it, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. Notice something here. The author's not mentioned in this book. And uh, if you read Bible scholars and commentators, or if you have a study Bible, there's notes at the bottom. Everybody argues about who wrote this book. For centuries, people thought it was Paul. Then people started arguing, maybe Luke wrote it. The Greek's too nice that's written through here. Maybe it was a guy named Barnabas, maybe Apollos. There are whole books written about that. Let me tell you the summary of all that. Save you a bunch of time. We don't know. We don't know who wrote this book. And I think if God wanted us to know, it'd be like the other books in the New Testament where it says, here's who wrote this book. (laughs) So I think there's a reason why we don't know the author. And I think because it would be a distraction to us from what's actually being talked about in this book, which is Jesus. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the main point of all of history, and Jesus is the point of Hebrews, amen? Amen. And Jesus is the point of your life. Even if you're a skeptic, just hear me out. Jesus is the point of your life, too. You just might not know it yet. And so I think that's why we don't know who the author is here. And when you go through this book as a whole, you're gonna see 13 different times where it says in there, that's why we titled this series Greater, that Jesus is better than something else in creation. That he's, greater, he's the greater hope. He's the, the greater covenant. He's got a greater, sorry Americans, he's, the, he's got a greater country for you, it's called heaven. He's got a greater resurrection. In our passage today, we're going to see three ways that Jesus is greater. And so what God says to us is that God speaks. He's still speaking. He spoke in the past. He's done it in a lot of ways. Today he's speaking through his son Jesus. And before we talk about what he says, let's talk about who he is. And remember who these people are and what they're going through. There's like a dark cloud lingering Isn't that true? Haven't you experienced in your own life those of you who are in relationship with God that God oftentimes speaks the loudest when it gets the darkest? I was talking with my pastor from Dallas this week when we were communicating. I had... I uh, started of reading a book that he had written, and we were talking through some of his stories. He's got a unique story. He grew up a couple generations older than me, and he talks about his childhood as idyllic, like you would watch an uh, old TV show, black and white type TV shows. And he said where parents stayed together, and people were kind, and everybody didn't act entitled, and there was hard work, and like all those things. And he said, so I grew up just thinking that's how the world was until great tragedy came into his family. And what happened is his dad owned a hardware store in Fort Worth while well, he was a college student. And uh, one time he was preaching. He's actually decided he was gonna go into the gospel, whether he's gonna be an evangelist or a pastor, he's gonna go into gospel ministry. He was preaching a youth revival about two and a half hours away. And at his dad's hardware store, somebody was shoplifting, which as a store owner had happened before, caught the shoplifter, but the guy waited for him on the parking lot and bludgeoned him with a hammer. Over and over and over again until he was in critical condition. And uh, my pastor, Pastor uh, Jack Graham, got a call from his brother and he said, um, Dad's in the hospital. We need you to come. He came back. Any of you have been in that situation before where somebody's dying in the hospital? You know what that's like. And he said, Already surrendered to the Lord. Already been saved. He surrendered his life to the Lord. He said, But he went down to the chapel after his last encounter. His last encounter with his dad, he was just at his bedside praying, God, if my dad can hear me, we'd have him squeeze my hand. He said he felt the faintest grip, and he knew that that was the last time he was going to talk to his dad. It was just that little grip. So he went down to the chapel in the hospital, and he said, He experienced God's presence unlike ever before in his life. And he just thought about it. the guy who did this to his dad. He's 24 years old. He said, Why is he so angry? Why so much rage? And it was a commitment in his life that in this dark world, he wanted to bring light. Matthew 5 16. And that he wanted to make a difference. He said and it was in that moment. He had already a Christian. He goes, but that's when I really surrendered to the lordship of Christ in my life. It's often in the dark moments that God speaks the loudest. We can sense we something's coming. That's where the Hebrews were at. And some of them were saying, God, why aren't you speaking? Why are you so silent? And so what did he say here? He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke, and he's still speaking. And the first thing he tells us in this passage is this, that Jesus is greater than all creation he says he's speaking through his son and he tells us about his son Who before he tells us what he says and what the message we're supposed to get from the son is. He tells us who he is. And the first point today, or the first thing that he says is Jesus is greater than all creation. Verse 1, long ago, not hey, I hope you guys are doing well, praying for you guys in Hebrews, wherever you're at. Uh, it says long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Before we go any further, think about that. God, like, he spoke everything into existence out of nothing. So he's a speaking God, but then he doesn't stop. Like, some people say God created everything, he spun it into existence, and now he's hands off, and he's not communicating. But we know, if you read the Bible, that's not true. Like, not just how he communicated through the Bible, but just think about how he communicates to you through the Bible. Like, I don't know what your communication preferences are. Maybe you're more of a Twitter person, 44 characters or less. Have you read Proverbs? Short, pithy statements that go really quick, or quotes? Twitter's in the Bible. Did you know that? <laughs> or maybe you're more of a Facebook person. You like the long narrative and all the details about what somebody ate and their haircut and all that stuff. Or maybe you're into politics. Have you read First and Second Kings? You want politics? Facebook's in the Bible. Or maybe you like TikTok. You just want the word pictures, the images. And so parables—they're in there. It's all in the Bible. Somebody came—an elder came up to me and goes, "You're saying that TikTok's in the Bible?" I said, "You can email me on Monday. Like we'll deal with that." There's all these different ways just through the different genres, whether it's poetry, whether it's sermon, whether it's a letter, whether it's an exhortation, whether it's judgment, whether it's wrath, whether it's grace. Like there's all these different ways just just in the Bible to you that God's communicating. But then you read the Bible and see how he's communicated to people throughout history, different people over thousands of years, sometimes an audible voice, sometimes an impression on your heart, sometimes a dream that you have. Sometimes a vision, Ezekiel. Sometimes sometimes it's through circumstance and experience. Sometimes it's a burning bush, Moses. Once it was a donkey. Okay, if he's talking through a donkey, let me tell you what he's saying. I can talk however I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. Amen? And he's, he's still speaking. That's the thing. And he's telling us here how he speaks. What does it tell us about God that he's speaking to us? Do you know what it says? He's relational and he wants to be known. Because he knows you, but he wants you to know him. So he's communicating to you. And not only that, he tells us in this book exactly how he's communicating to us. It's through his son. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. True, but contrast in these last days, that's now, ever since the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection and he's seated at the right hand of the father. He's spoken to us by his son. But who's his son? It says, whom he appointed And the first thing we're told in the book of Hebrews about Jesus is he's the heir of all things. To be an heir means you've been appointed to receive an inheritance. Have you ever received, some of you here have received an inheritance. Maybe from a grandparent, maybe from an uncle or aunt or parents. And sometimes it's just like a memento, like maybe it's a favorite t-shirt or a watch or something like that. Sometimes it's money. And some of you have received money. Maybe you received like $10,000, and that's bl- a blessing, or maybe $100,000, and hopefully that you know, pay off any debt you'd ever have or whatever. Can you imagine being, inheriting a million dollars? I'm not asking if you have. Can you imagine it? What about $100 million? I was thinking through this inheritance here that's being mentioned for Jesus this week, and so I googled real quick, what's the largest inheritance that's ever been given? You might think in your mind, like, what do you think that was? It was the Walton family. Uh, they own Walmart, in case you're wondering. And they're rolling back prices, but the budget, they keep going up. So that's kind of how that works. Um, their fortune is estimated to be $190 billion, with a B, dollars. So they estimated that that was the largest inheritance that's ever been given by a family. It's $190 billion. I read it, and I had just been reading Hebrews 1. I'm like, you didn't even mention Jesus. Do you know how big Jesus' inheritance is? All of it. All like not hundred, not dollars. Like it says heavens and like, what does that mean? What are you even talking about? And the heavens like seen and unseen all of creation. It's all his interesting to me that the author starts with the inheritance though, because when does an inheritance come? It's at the end. So he starts with the end, but then he jumps to the beginning. Did you see that in this passage in verse 2? It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir, that's at the end, of all things, through whom also he created the world. The beginning. So Jesus did not begin in a manger, just FYI. and we just came off Christmas season. We sang all the Christmas song, Read Luke 2. Jesus is God. That means he's always existed. He is the creator of the universe, and so that's what Hebrews is pointing out here. Uh, Colossians says it like this, talking about Jesus, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So all things were created by him, they were created through him, and they were created ultimately to come back to him for him go back to hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 we're talking about that he is the end the heir, and he's the beginning the creator later we're going to read through the word of his power that he's the sustainer and so you could say that the author of hebrews is saying that jesus is the end all heir, be all sustainer and beginning of all creator we know throughout the bible it says that he owns it all All over the Bible, it says this. Here's a few verses: Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, "For all the earth is mine," that's the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, "Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven and the heaven of heavens." I don't know where that is, but the earth and all that's in it. So let's put it in a world that we can talk about. Job chapter 41, verse 11 says, "Who has first given to me that I should repay him?" God speaking. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It all belongs to me. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verse on the screen, chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You don't even belong to you. How about that truth? So he's the end all, the be all, the beginning of all. He owns it all. And do you know what that means? You can trust him with it all. He's the creator, the sustainer. It's all coming back to him, and he owns it all now. Do you know what that makes us? Stewards. I try to teach this to my kids every once in a while. Usually it's not in the most teachable moments, um, just to be candid. Uh, They have rooms at our house, and we call them their rooms. You know, we got Ella's room, Ava's room, different rooms, and, and that's fine. But you know what? None of them ever paid a mortgage payment, just FYI. And so there are moments that happen in our house where I say, we call it, that's not your room, that's my room, because that's my house. So if I tell you I want you to clean that room, you have to clean the room because it's my room and you're in it. And sometimes, especially get you know, these teenage years, I don't want to call anybody out, they're in the back row right now, but whatever. Um, <laughs> they get mad and they'll slam the door. I'll be like, oh, that's my door. Don't be breaking my door. And I can take that door if I want to take that door. Because you might have your name on that door, but it's my door. See, all of creation cries out that it belongs to God. What about your creation? Because this reveals, this is a heart reveal time for you. Your time, your talent, your kids, your money, all that belongs to God. Everything visible and invisible, he said. He created it all. He is the sustainer of all. It's all coming back to him. He owns it all. And so whether you believe that or not is not dictated by what you write down taking notes today, by what you amen in this sermon, but by how you live your life. And I remember when I first started learning about stewardship, it was not from a sermon. I know it's ironic for me to tell you that since I'm preaching a sermon, I want you to learn this. Uh, but it was through life examples. And so I don't know how you've learned stewardship, those of you that are already Christians and whatnot, but it's been for me being around generous people. And some of you know uh, that about a month ago, my mentor, the guy who led me to Jesus, uh, passed away. And the, he's the father of Nikki Cullen, who is leading worship from the Keys today. Um, He taught me more of what I know about stewardship than anybody else in this world. And I was able to speak at his uh, funeral service. I told one story that really impacted me. I remember when he was trying to talk to me about what tithing is. I thought he was getting scammed by his church. I was a new Christian. And I felt like I was really generous whenever like the plate came by. If I dropped like a 20 in there. And he told me I should give 10% of whatever I make. I'm like, you've been doing that for how long? Like they're ripping you off, man. Like is what I was thinking. And then he's teaching, you know, he showed me what the Bible said that the tithe happened before the law and Abraham tithe and all those kinds of things. But then really where I learned it was his life. And I remember one story he told me when his law practice was new that he had to decide whether to tithe or not and he didn't have enough money to be totally obedient to God. he explained to me kind of how he did it. Some of you business owners might understand how this works, but he tied on the on the gross, so pre-taxes, of all the money that came into their practice. And one month, it was November 1977, so it was before Nikki was born. He said the month ended on a Wednesday. I was doing books, and I realized going into the last week, we don't have enough money in the bank account for me to pay both was Connie and for me to tithe and I know God wants me to do both as a a Christian business owner so I prayed God what do you want me to do he said no word no word from the Lord probably all been there before where you want God to just make it clear and he he doesn't woke up the next morning still nothing He's driving into the office, and somebody's doing a devotional on the radio. It's listening to a Christian radio, and they were telling the story about the widow with the two mites, it says in some Bibles, or two pennies, and really they're less than They're a fraction of a penny if you understand the story, and the point is she's got almost nothing, but she drops these two pennies in, and Jesus says that she's given more than all the other people, Now, other people had given bigger numbers, but then Jesus explains what he means when he says she gave everything she had to live on. And he told me, he said, Scott, the only way that that could have been more clear to me is if in that moment, God would have said, do you get it, Mike? (laughs) You got to pay your tithe. And so he said he walked in as Secretary Connie was not a Christian, knew he was, and said, Connie, I need you to write a check to the church for this amount. And she wasn't a fool. She could figure out that meant there wasn't enough money to pay her. Later that day, he was doing his work. And she came in and brought the mail in like she always did. And just stood there, which is not what she always did. And so he said, "Uh, is there something I can help you with, Connie? And she said, the mail came. He goes, that's great. And she said, I'd like you to read it. He goes, I will. She said, I'd like you to read it right now. (laughs) He's like, okay, fine. That's fine. He pulls the tray over. It's got the the mail on it. And he sees there's a stack of checks. And he said, on that day, to get one check was a big deal in any given day. But to have a stack of checks, he just started going through them and he started adding it up in his head. He's a pretty smart guy. And he said it was $637, which is more than he had ever made in a week. And he said, and I realized at that moment, not only could I pay Connie, but I could pay myself. And I looked up at her, not a Christian, and she's crying. And I just said, You can thank God for your check this week, Connie. And then she left. And he taught me, God's going to take care of you. Trust him, it's all his, anyways. Amen? Say, so why, am why am I telling you this? Am I trying to set you up that we're going to build a building in a cup? Co- no, that's not it. Like I've had some members in our church ask me, like has COVID hit the church hard financially? Can I, let me be honest with you. We last year, fiscal year, was the best fiscal year our church has ever had. So I'm not telling you this to get your money just so you know. But I want you to ask yourself as we think about who you are in the book of Hebrews, are you drifting? Because the Bible tells you God wants your heart And your money will tell you whether he has it. He says it like this in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, oh, kind of in the the middle toward the end, uh, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, that's all temporary, and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So invest your resources here so that it makes an eternal difference. Where neither moth destroys or, or where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves are not breaking and steal. And here's the reason why. Verse 21. And this is not how I would say this. Like if I were writing this verse, I'd have it the other way, but that's not how it is. That's what Jesus says. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, I would think that it would say, Where your heart is, your money's gonna follow. That's not what it says. The Bible says that where you put your money, that's where your heart goes. Anybody who has a student in college. All of a sudden, you're a fan, right? That's cool. Like, you start supporting a missionary in China, and then you hear there's a storm in China. You're like, where is it? The people that I'm sending money to. Like where the money is, that's where your heart goes. Is what the Bible says. So if you're drifting from God, I guarantee you, your giving has changed. If you're angry at God, I guarantee you, your giving has changed. So this passage is telling us here, he's greater than all of creation, it's all his. It's the, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the sustainer, he's the end all, the be all, the sustainer of all, he owns it all, you can trust him with all. The question is not do you respond verbally to do you, but do you? Not only is he greater than all of creation, it goes on in this passage, he is greater than all other glory. He's greater than all other glory, it's our second point. In verse three, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Now, the Bible is crystal clear about God's glory, that he is the glorious one and that he deserves all glory for everything that happens within his creation. In fact, his creation actually cries out about his glory. Psalm 19, verse one says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's a passage in Isaiah where the angels are singing to God about his holiness. It's another verse that would be different than the way that I would write it. But it doesn't matter what I would write. It's what the Bible says. Listen to how it goes and see if it's the way you would say it. The angels are calling out to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his. I would have written holiness. That's what you're singing about. But it doesn't say that. It says glory. Later in Isaiah, trying to give us an idea of what God is like, the prophet says this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Have you ever tried that? It's a humbling experience. Let me show you what it's like. I've got, they always give me a little bottle of water up here in case I start coughing or something, and they're so generous with the mini bottle, right? You like that? Wouldn't want me to overhydrate up here, but anyway. any rate. Um, this bottle says it has about eight ounces of water in it. And so in the passage, Isaiah 40, 12, talks about how God measured all the waters and all the galaxies in the hollow of his hand. And so, let me just give you a demonstration of how much I can hold in the hollow of my hand. So I'm going to cup it the best that I can and pour it in there. It's not staying. That I'm not exactly sure how much water that was, but not an ounce. There's a little bit in there. Uh huh. Did you see the drops come off? Not much. Let me tell you what Isaiah 40 verse 12 is saying. He's bigger than Think about God holding all of, all of the universe, all of the water that there is on any planet or just this one. Just think about, have you been to the ocean? He holds all the water and the hollow of it. Some of you went to college, you played basketball, you can palm a ball, so you've got a bigger hand than me. You still can't get eight ounces. And he's got all of it? Paul David Tripp uh, wrote a quote commenting on this passage that I want to share with you. He says this, the stunning reality of this universe is that there exists one who is the greatest, the most beautiful, and the most perfect in every way. God is gloriously great, gloriously beautiful, and gloriously perfect. There is none like him. He has no rivals, and no valid comparison can be made to him. And this is the statement that just struck my mind. He is the great other. That's the only thing we can say. You're other. You're not like us. You're other in a category of his own beyond our ability to estimate, understand, or describe. And so when Isaiah is saying this in Isaiah 40, 12, that he holds all the water in the hollow of his hand, he's doing the best he can with our language, amongst humans, and what we can think of as huge to try and say, this is who God is, but the words are inadequate is what he's saying. Well, if you just want to stop talking about it and just go, He's other. He's not like us. He's different. And you know what he is? All glorious. And what this passage says is that his son is the exact imprint of that glory, the radiance of his glory. But there's a problem for us when it comes to glory. We were made for glory. Your lung for pleasure, your desire to be satisfied, that's all God given. That's all there. But there's a couple problems when it comes to glory. The first one is this we settle for lesser glories. We settle for lesser glories. And even if we affirm the things I said in the first point—that that He's greater than all creation—in practice, what many of us do is we make things within this creation the ultimate thing in our life. That's what the Bible calls an idol. And when we settle for an idol, what we're doing is we're settling for lesser glories. Now, your idol might be porn, or it might be prescription drugs. Is a big deal here in North Raleigh. Like it might be one of those things, and I could rail against that. But let's talk about one that's more um, offensive to some of you. Uh, how about your kids? How about when you go to the grocery store? How worried are you that they might misbehave and people you don't know might not affirm you? Shh, shh, be quiet. Get your mask on the right way. Stop. Don't touch anything. Get out of their way. Hold on. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have well-behaved kids, but if you're, you're going to experience shame because they, they, a different sinner disobeys, they're a sinner. Okay, so are you. Like, they're going to do that. Or you can come to church and brag about your kids because they do the next level of math. They're in ninth grade and they do 11th grade math. It's like, I don't even know how to do 11th grade math. I'm not impressed. I don't care. (laughs) I tell you, the kids are like, can you help me with my math? I'm like, no. (laughs) YouTube. (laughs) Anyway. um, But if your identity is caught up in who your kids are and who your kids become, that's an idol, just so you know. And that means you're settling for a lesser glory. And we can change the idols. Uh, we pick that today, and we could pick money tomorrow. We could pick your health. We could pick your, your intellect. We could pick your accomplishments, your job, your marriage, your car. Like, we could pick a thousand. All the things in creation we can pick. And you know what? When we do that, we're settling for a lesser glory. Do you know what else we do? We rob God of his glory when we make our lives all about us. And what a dumb crime. Have you ever seen uh, stories of stupid criminals? (laughs) I saw one this week, a lady in Ohio on Monday. which Her her Monday was uh, worse than mine. She woke up and uh, she saw that there was a light on. She has actually multiple people living in her house, by the way. Her husband's there, her son-in-law was there, and her son were all there. Uh, But she woke up first and saw there was a light on in the guest bedroom. So she went to check the light and there was a burglar sleeping on the guest bed. And he was wearing their clothes. That was the other thing. And he had eaten food out of their refrigerator and swam in their pool and then fell asleep in their house. Like, how dumb can you be, man? Like, you're not a burglar, but you're not, that's a crime. You shouldn't be doing that, but you're not even good at it. Like, come on. I saw one, a story a couple years ago of a guy uh, who broke into a car that had a dash cam on it. Seems like you'd go, next car, but whatever. He broke in and uh, while he was breaking into the car, the dash cam caught one of his tattoos on his neck, which was his name idiot whatever Uh, they're dumb criminals but is there a stupider crime than thinking that somehow like you're coming into existence in the last 50 20 80 years that this all revolves around you that it's about your kingdom that everything else is created for your glory like is there a stupider criminal than us how arrogant and dumb is that And then to come to church and go, all glory to him, but then live like it belongs? Wow. That's crazy. And what the author of Hebrews is reminding these Hebrews about is he's saying, hey, he's greater than all glory. He's going to speak. God spoke through his son. But let's not forget who he is. He's greater than all creation. He's greater than all glory. And not only that, he's greater than all power. That's the next part of our passage. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Oh, don't miss that. Don't miss that, by the way. He's not just like an essence of who God is. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Like some of you, has anybody ever said to you, hey, you look a lot like your mom or you look a lot like your dad or you look a lot like, and so sometimes I think we think that of Jesus like that, like he's kind of, I mean, he shows us some things about God and Like I was at the table with my kids the other day. They were going crazy, by the way. They're actually good kids. I know I say some of the other stuff, but whatever. Uh, There wasn't a good moment. And um, I said, everybody, calm down. Like, just stop Stop saying crazy stuff. Stop talking, period. Like, all this thing. And uh, one of them who's, um, some people would use the word wise or smart or witty, but they're real quick with their mouth, says to me, you know we're 80% you, right, Dad? (laughs) And I said, so you're 80% me, but you're 20% mom. And they go, yep. We're like 80% you, 20% mom. I said, so you're nice 20% of the time and, and you're bad 80% of the time? Is that what you're saying? And she goes, yep. And then there's another one. Here's a little inside joke that happens at our house. They usually call me dad, but when my sin's being exposed, they call me pastor Scott. <laughs> and so one of my kids says to me, nice pastor Scott, like in that moment. And so, well, they're saying like, we're a mix, we're kind of a mix, but well, we got more of the bad, you dad. And then we got the good mom in, the, in this moment so it's like, you might look like your mom or your dad or your brother or whatever the deal is. So this isn't saying that. It says he's the exact imprint. He is God, amen? And so he says to one of his disciples in John chapter 14, the disciple says to him, I want to see the Father. If I can just see the Father, that'll be enough. You know what Jesus says? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father, we are one. And then, then here we see, remember, let's get, before I read the next part, don't forget what's being said in this passage as a whole. God speaks how? Through his son. Okay. And we're going to talk about what his son says, but before we do that, let's talk about his word. Look at what he says about his word. He upholds the universe by the power of his word, the word of his power. And he does this after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Okay, that's talking about the cross, by the way. uh, Because when he died on the cross, he was dying as a substitute in your place at the cross. And, and just think about that for a second. He's the only one that's able to do that. Because there's some, justice has to be served. God's a just God. So he's gracious and he's loving, but he's also just. And that doesn't change in the New Testament. He's just all throughout. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, this book actually talks about that. So if he's just, he can't just let your sin go by. Somebody's got to pay for your sin. It can be you. But because you've sinned against an eternal God, you have to pay for that for all of eternity separated from him. That's called Hell. Or you can have a substitute. Now, let's just say, hypothetically, that somebody's willing to die for you. No one would, but let's just say someone was. And I'll just say that it's me. And so I can't because I've got my own sin. But let's just say hypothetically, don't amen in the back row, my family. Let's just say, because I am a sinner, let's just say I didn't have any sin. Say I I lived a sinless life and I decided I was going to die. I loved you so much, I'm going to die for you. Here's the problem, I can only die for one of you. One life for one life. Why is Jesus able to die for all sins? It's because who he is. He is, he's not just a human. He became human, but he stayed fully God. He is God. It's because he was God that he was able to die for you. And so he says the ultimate purification for your sins here in this passage. Then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor, but he sat down because, like he said on the cross, it is finished. He did the work on the cross, for your sins. And while he was dying on the cross, and while he was flooding the earth, and while he was born as a baby, a bunch of, of animals, babies can't talk, but because he was still fully God, wrap your mind around this, he was still sustaining the entire universe with the word of his mouth. Wow. His words has got power. And I could illustrate the power of his word by picking almost any miracle Jesus did throughout the Bible. You could go jump into the Gospels and say, hey, get up, You're, you can walk now, or you can see, or you know, your sins are forgiven, you start grabbing, him. it's like, see the, it, never do you see Jesus doing a miracle and be like, whoo, that was a doozy. Heavy lifting there, no, it's like he just speaks and it happens, that's, that's his word. You get, there's a section, it's one of my favorite sections in the Gospels and Mark, If you read through it, it just illustrates how powerful his word is. In Mark chapter 1, he casts out a demon, and what you find is demons obey Jesus. Whoa. In fact, some of you aren't doing the Bible reading plan, like reading through the Bible in a year. Maybe this year, why don't you just read everything the New Testament has to say about demons and what they believe and how they respond to Jesus. I'll tell you, they've got the best theology in the New Testament. And they always do what he says. Because they know who he is. Mark chapter 1, he commands a demon out of God. The demon it's gone. Mark chapter two, one of my favorite stories, there's a paralyzed guy, his buddies bring him up on the, the, the rooftop and they drop him through the ceiling and then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, but then they can't see anything. And so Jesus says, Oh, get up, take up your mat and walk. And he shows that disease obeys him. So demons obey him, disease obeys him. Then you keep reading, you jump over to Mark chapter five and Mark chapter five, there's a little girl who dies and Jesus, he raises her from the dead. Even death obeys him. Now listen, I know some of you, you've had people die recently. Some from COVID, some from cancer. Other different things have taken place. And it always feels like too soon. Let me tell you what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says it's appointed for man to die. And after that comes judgment. In other words, before you began, God had your ending planned. And so no matter if they were old or young or somewhere in the middle, it always feels too soon to us. God decided the day. Covid didn't kill anybody. Cancer didn't kill anybody. Car accident didn't kill anybody. It wasn't coincidence. God appointed that day because He has authority over death. And every once in a while in the New Testament, He gives us this picture where He commands somebody to come back, showing His author- death obeys God, disease obeys Him. Do you know what else obeys Him? It's disaster. There's this story. It's really popular, but really short. In between Mark chapter two and Mark chapter five and Mark chapter four, where these guys, the disciples of Jesus, get in this boat, and then there's this storm. This should be a warning to you not to try and interpret your circumstances if God hasn't told you what your circumstances mean. Because you know why they're in the boat when there's a storm? It's because they obeyed Jesus. Most of us, if we're in the midst of a storm, would go, Well, are you trying to discipline me? Did I do something wrong? Why is this happening to me? Why are you silent? Don't you care about me? Read the story. It's incredible. Mark chapter 4, what happens is they get in this boat because Jesus told them to. Then the storm comes, they panic, they're terrified, they think they're gonna die. Then they go to Jesus, who's sleeping, by the way, and he didn't doze off like Dad watching a movie. It wasn't like, oh, he's, he's laying on a pillow. That means he's sleeping on purpose. And so he's laying on a pillow, sleeping on purpose, and they ask what you and I would ask. Don't you care? Jesus gets up. My favorite translation of this is a Bible that we had when I would read it to the kids when they were real little. And it says that he says to the, the wind, shh into the waves, shh. The NIV or the ESV says he calmed with great peace. <laughs> I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I imagine it was glassy. Well, there's mountains all around. Storms can come fast. Water's choppy. I imagine glassy, smooth water. And what happens next in the passage is the key. Mark chapter 4, verses 40 and 41. I'll read it to you. It says this. We'll put the verses up on the screen. As is Jesus speaking. He said to them, why are you so afraid? The storm's over, by the way. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then verse 41, and they were filled with great fear, which might be the best commentary, this is like their shining moment, because if you're going to fear something, fear God. Don't fear the circumstances. With great fear, and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. (laughs) They were more afraid of the guy in the boat than the storm outside the boat because they realized this guy, he's got power over all of creation. It all obeys him. And so let me ask you this, church. If demons obey him and disease obeys him and disaster obeys him and even death obeys him, do you? Because he's speaking to us. God's got a word for us. He got a word for us in 2022. We, it, sometimes it's a hard word. There's another story in John chapter 6 where Jesus speaks, and it says that a lot of his disciples, those were learners. It's like some second-generation Christians, third-generation Christians in this room. You don't really love Jesus. You, don't, you believe. If I give you a theology quiz, you get all the answers right. But you don't love him. They left. Some people that are drifting he turns to his disciples, the 12 guys that are close. He knows Judas is there. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words, words, words of eternal life. He says, sustains the universe with the power of his word. The universe is ever expanding. He's still sustaining it. All of it. You can trust him. Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to pray to you and I know when we were praying before this message began, there are people that stood. You know those needs. You know the needs of everybody. You know the people that sat. You know the people that are at home. You know the people that are here. You know all that. Father, will you speak? If you need to confess sin and confess idolatry, I, I encourage you to do that right now. If 2022 is a year to break generational curses and you're going to stop living out the stuff that's happened, whether it's alcoholism or abuse or, or, or broken relationships or whatever it is. You're going to change that in your family and make that now. It's not too late. I don't know what your story is. It's not too late to them about that. Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for each one of the people groups that are mentioned in this book and that I believe are present in this church. Father, I pray for the skeptic that's unsure of you. God, will you show yourself so beautiful to them that they're drawn to you? Whether you answer all their questions or not, I know you can. I know you might not. Will you draw them to you? Will you save them? Maybe through this series. Maybe they'll stick with us through Hebrews and they'll see that you're greater. You're greater than any other, any other thing in this all of creation. Any of the idols that they've fallen prey to, any of the lies that they're believing, that you'd reveal your truth and you draw them to you. And, and you might even say to somebody today, Father, I pray there'd be somebody to be convicted of their sin and desire to turn to you, that you you would choose to come, live a sinless life, die the death that we deserve, and then offer that to us as our substitute, that they would receive that right now and ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for those that are here, they're on fire for you, and they love you, and they love your word, but they get discouraged. I pray you'd speak a word of encouragement to them now. I pray you continue to do that through this series. I pray for people that are drifting. They're not as close to you today as they have been. Bring them back. Show them your grace. Show them the open arms. Bring them back to you. Today can be a new beginning. And Father, I pray for people that are deceived, that think that it's about living a moral life or church attendance or what they're going to do for you approve, or, or whatever it is that they're believing. Father, will you change that? Will you make their faith their own? And we show them how loved they are. It's in mm-hmm. Jesus' name I pray.